Thank you for tuning into the New Vision Podcast. We've been in a series called Here Now. We've been talking about how God doesn't just want us to remember that he has done great things, but to know he wants to continue to do great things in us and through us. Enjoy the message. For the last month, we've, we've been starting, we've been in this series called Here Now. It's, it's how we've kicked off our time together. And we've been talking about how God is not just a God that's been great and done great things, but a God that is constantly looking for ways to continue to do great things in us and through us. And, and over the next couple of weeks, I want us to wrap our minds around this next part that when it comes to God doing great things, oftentimes we are waiting for God to move but God is waiting on us to move, that he's waiting for us to step out of our seats from where we are in our comfort zone and just simply say that we'll go and we'll go first. And so today I wanna talk to you about going first. And in your notes, you can write it however you want. Um, You can write it how Isaiah put it when God said, who are we gonna send for us? Who will go? And he said, here am I, send me. You can simply say, I'll go or I'll go first, whatever it may be, because this is the thought that we want to get in our hearts and hopefully that will translate into us moving. But today we're going to talk about going first. Let's pray before we get in. God, we're so very thankful that your presence is here, that we are experiencing it. We've experienced it in worship and God, you are still in this place. And so Lord, I pray that in the next moments as we spend in your word, that God, it would infiltrate our hearts. It will challenge us. It will change us. It would move us to not just talk about living a life that is pleasing to you or being a good and faithful servant, but God, it would move us to action, to doing just that. I pray that, that we would not be able to leave the same way that we came in because we have spent time together and in your word. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. All right. Uh, when it comes to going first, I don't know if you've ever had a group of guys around um, and, and something daring happens. Most of us are like, I'm really brave, but you go first. <laughs> like, I'll talk a good game, but I want somebody to go first. The only time you see guys, there's always one or two of us that, that are just like crazy. We'll go first no matter what. It doesn't matter. But most of us, it's going to take, if, if guys, if we're honest, it takes a good looking girl that we like to kind of move us into jumping out into going first. And then we hope that we don't embarrass ourselves in the process. And, you know, in the course of doing youth ministry, uh, there was one summer we had uh, about three interns. And one day we thought it was a great idea to take this big corduroy, it looked like a beanbag chair, but it wasn't a beanbag chair. There was a king size like futon mattress folded up inside there. And we thought, man, this is really cool. It's really big. I bet we could jump off the balcony and land on this thing, right? So you know what, Josh, we decided to all march up into the gym and we're at the very top. And then the conversation begins. Who's going to go first? Who's going to go first? And so we begin to, you know, kind of make fun of each other, trying to get someone to go first. So finally, I just said, you know what? I'll do it. I'll go. I climb over the railing. The railing that's supposed to keep you on this side and not over into the unknown. And I thought, this is going to be so. And then it just paused right there because it wasn't awesome. It wasn't great. It was only scary. It was, that's all it was right in that moment. But I had already committed. I'm going. So I, I go. I let go. I jump off. You know what the first thought that entered my mind was? Mel is going to be so mad when she finds out what I did. 
And I thought then, like, did I jump far enough? Am I going to hit this thing when I go down? You know what? I was sitting in it earlier. I hope I don't land in the same spot and that goes right down to the ground because all it is is a concrete floor underneath. We were so excited about doing that. And it's just one of those silly things that sometimes on a dare you end up going first. And other times it's, it's going first, but it's simply responding with I'll go. I'll do that. If, it, if I'm needed, then I'll go. I remember back in December, we got a phone call from the district superintendent. And um, he called and he said, hey, um, I want you to, to think about um, this church in Grandview. It's New Vision Christian Center. He said it used to be Grandview Assembly. He said they've got an interim pastor there. I wonder if you would just, you know, think and pray about maybe God would be leading you to, to see if that's where he would want you to go. And every now and then we would get opportunities thrown our way to go to other churches and do other things. And more often than, than not my immediate response, there's no waiting, there's no thinking. It's just like, no thanks, no thanks. But as I was talking to Don that day, I began to say, well, all right, God, if you're in this, like, I don't want to miss this. So I just told him, you know what, I'll, I'll pray about it. And I called Mel afterwards and I just said, hey, babe, um, let's pray about this. And so that was like a Tuesday or Wednesday on Friday. We came up and we sat in the parking lot and we just began to pray and ask God what, what he was trying to do. And I wish in that moment that I could say that there was this giant halo that appeared over the church and the clouds parted and there was a hand descend with the finger and it points right at the church. I wish I could say that, but it wasn't that easy. And so we, we continued to pray and I looked at Mel, I said, what do you think? And she's like, man, I, I'm, not, I'm not feeling no, I'm not feeling like, oh my gosh, let's do this, but we're gonna continue to walk in this direction. And so Sunday we showed up at the church, it was during Christmas time. And, and we prayed very specifically as we came through the door that God, if this isn't you, we want to feel like this is an impossibility, that there's nothing that we could do here, there's no potential or anything like this. And we began to, to hang out and then we went and had coffee. And as we started talking, I stopped us in the middle of the conversation. I said, you realize we're talking about potential and not problems. And God began to stir again and, and lead us in this direction. And eventually I said, man, we'll go. We'll go. We'll, we'll be the ones that, that step out and we'll be the first one to, to submit whatever we need to do. And we'll meet with the board and we'll have conversations and we'll do all of those things. And by June the 9th, the day that we came, that we got voted in, I can be honest with you and say we were already here. We were already in. God had already spoken. He had already cemented things in our heart. But honestly, man, it was scary. The process of up and down, of wondering if we're hearing God correctly and all of that, of going somewhere new, doing something we had never done, it was exciting and it was scary. Relationships in our lives were going to change. There were going to be people that we were close to in proximity in life and ministry that we weren't going to be able to hang out with as much because we were being separated. There was emotions involved of leaving a place that we had been so long, a place that we loved, and then we began to think about this new direction. And I began to feel what it was like to lead in an area that I'd never led before. And it was heavier. And, and I can be honest with you, the mantle of leading this place, of being responsible for what God wants to do here is heavier than I anticipated. But it's one that I'm glad to carry because I believe that there's a new direction that God is gonna take us, that there's a new passion, a new excitement in this place, that the spirit is stirring not just me, but each and every one of us. And as I can tell, man, I'm getting the goosebumps right now. But I can tell you this, that as, as frightening as it's been at times, 
It's been exciting. And as much as the enemy has fought, I determined it this week, man, this week has been a, a rough week for me, a rough week in, in the church and getting things done and how things need to happen and, and just stuff happening on and on. And Monday afternoon when I was in my office, I just sat there and I was like, God, what, are you sure? And then something inside me stood me up. And I threw my back down. And I said, you know what? I didn't come all this way to stop fighting now. That this is exactly the reason why we fight. This is exactly the reason that we're here. And I'm so excited. I, I was telling someone today that the best way for me to describe how it's been, because everyone asks, man, how, how is it at the, at, at the church? What's it feel like? What's the, how are you? Is it to meet your expectations? Whatever. I just say this, man, it, it's like being on a roller coaster. There's this anticipation before the big drop and you're like, oh, what's gonna happen, what's gonna happen? And then in the moment of the drop, there's nothing. There's no words, you're screaming, trying, but nothing's coming out. You're afraid, but some part of you inside is liking it and you're being turned in ways that you didn't know and there's loops that you didn't expect. And when you get done, you feel a little bit sick, but you wanna get back in line again and go. And that's exactly how I feel, that no matter where we go, man, I'm so excited to get back in line and go. Because when you go first, when you say, I'll go, there's always a price to pay. There's always a price to go first, to be in line, to lead the way. And sometimes it's emotional. Sometimes it's physical. There's danger involved in going first. But you know what happens when you go first is you get to tell the best stories. And we think about that a lot of times in Scripture and the people that, that you know and, and love and that have great stories. And I think of Peter. Oftentimes I find myself like, oh man, if I could identify with one guy, it would be Peter. Because he was the first, oftentimes when no one knew what to say, Peter just blurted out whatever came in his mind. He was the first one to talk. Um, <laughs> Dr. Wesley used to always say that Peter had hoof and mouth disease, that he would open his mouth and insert his foot immediately into his mouth. If no one knew how to address something, Peter took care of it. Hey, let's do this. Well, Peter, that's not what we're going to do. Okay, well, I didn't know no one else was saying anything. And, and Peter began to do stuff like that. He was the first one to jump up and defend Jesus at the garden. He cuts off somebody's ear. And we think, dang, man, he did some crazy stuff. But then I begin to think, yeah, but Peter was also the first one to come out the boat. When Jesus was walking towards, he said, man, if that's you, let me come out there. Can you imagine the story as they hit the shore? As the people were gathered around because it said they were trying to figure out how everybody ended up at the same place. The people were like, man, it was crazy. Peter was walking on the water. And they're talking to people like, no, you're crazy. That didn't happen. And as they're talking, like that's a great story for someone to tell. But then in walks Peter and says, well, that, that's only part of the story. Let me tell you. Let me tell you how it felt when I took that first step out. And he could tell them whether it felt like he was walking on sand or water, if his feet got wet. He could tell them all of that. Why? Because he was the one who stepped out. He was the one who went first. And as he told the story, the narrative changed on what he could do and what God could do because he went first. And then as, as we find Peter in the book of Acts... We see that the disciples have just been baptized in the Holy Spirit and, and they're speaking in, in tongues. They're sharing the gospel in all these different languages. And people are like, hold on, wait, everybody's been drinking this morning. We're not sure what's going on there. And who was the first one to speak up? It was Peter. And Peter began to share. He was the first one to bring the good news of who Jesus was. And in that day, 2,000 people gave their lives to Jesus. 2,000 people gave everything that they had to follow Christ. Peter went first. And we get this. We get this in our own lives. But for the most part, we've turned into one of two people. We've turned into people that enjoy doing things so that other people can watch. But most of us have turned into the people that enjoy watching other people go first. 
You see, as a society, we've become way too comfortable with watching. We've become way too long with sitting on the sidelines. My kids watch YouTube for days watching other people do things. But you ever notice that when something is about to happen, most of us don't look to get involved. We look for our phones to record it so that we can watch it, so that we can show it. You know, there are times that I believe that, that we think about going first. You know, we have those epiphanies where we think, man, I could go back to school. I could be the first one to graduate college. Man, I could, I could start a business. It's inside me. Some of you, the, the thoughts of retiring to really do what you want to do in life, that's happened every now and then. And some of you have thought, man, if I could only just change my career, I could be the first one in my family to not be a part of the family business but do what's in my heart. Some of you, just the thought of being the first one to travel. No one has traveled. No one has ever gotten to see the world, and you want to do that. But almost immediately as we have those thoughts about going first, there's these voices that come, and they begin to talk to us about how we can't and why we can't. And they remind us of the things that we've been told from other people and some things that were told to us when we were kids and something when we were teenagers and some things from our very last evaluation at work. They tell us that we're just simply not enough. And you can fill in the blank. You're not old enough. You're not young enough. You're not experienced enough to do that. You don't have enough of what it takes to do those kinds of things that will only amount to the person that led us the most. You'll never be better than your father. You'll never be better than your mother. You'll just end up the same like them. And this is all just normal stuff. This is just life stuff. It's not even the same when it becomes this feeling on the inside like God is doing something new, that he wants to change something here and now. He wants you to move into something new, and it feels scary, and it feels unexpected, and you're unsure what to do. And a lot of times, instead of responding, I'll go or I'll go first, we say, I'll go after you find somebody else to go first. Anybody else, it doesn't really matter. We, we're pointing, we're looking around in the room, hoping that someone else is nearby that we can point at. Anybody else is better than us. We begin to look at ourselves and again, we find reasons. God, don't you remember the last time I went and I messed everything up? I failed big time. I thought that this is what you had me to do and it didn't work. I can't do that again. People aren't gonna trust me anymore. They're not gonna look and wanna follow me. We look and we tell God how messy our lives are. How the perfect life that we thought of when we were kids didn't end up being what we're living in. So that's got to disqualify us somewhere along the lines. And somewhere in the back of our minds, I think like this a lot of times, that God simply needs someone that's got it all together. And that someone is never me. It just never is. So this morning, I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to spend some time here looking a little bit further. We've spent our first three weeks of this series in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And I want to bring you up to speed into chapter 17. As you turn there, let me give you where we're going to, to be at. So Saul is the king of Israel, and he gathered the, the Israelite army to fight their common enemy, which is the Philistines. They're almost always fighting the Philistines. And as they go to line up, they line up. And then this massive man comes out of the crowd, this giant. The Bible tells us that he was nine feet tall. Any professional team would have wanted him. Football, baseball, but baseball might maybe not have, unless he stands at the home run wall maybe. But basketball, everybody would have wanted this guy. So he's nine feet tall. He comes out and he says, look, he says, I'm the toughest here on my side. 
You just send one person. There's no need for everybody to fight. If they can beat me, you win. But if I beat you, then you lose and we win. And there began to be fear spread throughout the camp. And then Jesse sends David. And he goes to check on his family because his older brothers are in the army. He's going to check on them. And this is where we pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to read a few verses and then keep reading in some other spots. So verse 23 says, as he was talking with them, David was talking with his brothers, talking with the other guys there. Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the ranks. And David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. And as soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. In some of your translations, it says this, that they ran and hid in their tents. They weren't just afraid. They were afraid of making eye contact. They were afraid of getting called out. They were running scared and hiding. They weren't just afraid. They were hiding. Have you seen the giant, the men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. He'd been doing this for 40 days. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempt from paying taxes. Now, there are some of us in the room for that last portion. We would do anything to never pay taxes again. So you can tell David wasn't getting paid at whatever he was doing because he would have jumped immediately right then. And any of these other guys, they must not have been working either because I would have been there like, whatever I got to do to not pay taxes. It feels like I'm dying when I'm paying taxes anyways. If I lose this fight, it's not that big a deal. But they were all talking about the giant. Everybody was talking. For 40 days, Goliath was coming out. He was challenging. He was making fun. He was trying to bait them into a fight and everyone was afraid. And what was happening that, that someone really never pointed out was that Saul was the one who was supposed to go and fight. If you remember the description of who Saul is, he's the tallest. He's the biggest Israelite there is. Head and shoulders above everyone else. He should have been the warrior that marched out there, but he was so afraid that he offered to pay someone else to go and fight. And as they were talking about this, everyone was afraid except for one person. And a couple of verses later, verse 32, it says this, don't worry about this Philistine. And that's not even a dent in what David is really saying. He tells the king this, don't let your heart fail. Don't be concerned. Don't be worried. Don't let this keep you up at night. You know what, matter of fact, no one needs to let their heart fail because of this Philistine. David told Saul, I'll go fight him. And today I want to share with you three things that allowed David to go first, to say, I'll go, to be the first one to run to the battle line. The first thing that David did is there was silence. I'm not talking about him going away and spending the time meditating. I'm, I, I mean this. There are always going to be voices saying things to you. As you want to respond, when it comes to going first and doing things for God, there will always be voices that you have to do just what David did and figure out how to silence voices. Let me give you the voices that David had to, to filter through. First, we have his brother, Eliab. As he goes to bring things here, his brother says this, what are you doing around here anyway? In verse 28, he demanded, what about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. 
The Hebrew text tells us that Eliab's anger was glowing white hot. He was angry that his little brother was there. Now, maybe he was angry because he had hoped to be anointed by Samuel, but he was passed over. Maybe he was uh, annoyed because David said that he would fight and he didn't. Whatever the reason was, he was angry that his brother had shown up. And then after David said that he'd go fight, listen to the voice of the king in response. In verse 33, it says, don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. And he has been a man of war since his youth. See, the voices of the brother and king will always tell you why you can't. They'll recount to you the size of your bank account and tell you you can't take that big of a risk. They will ask you, did you really hear God? Would God really be telling you to step out this way? What about the last time? They'll remind you of the reasons why you can't. You're too young. You're too old. Can you really afford to go back to school now? And a lot of times this comes from a place of jealousy because those people were afraid to go first. And if they were afraid, you should be too. And they don't want to see you go first because deep down inside they wished it was them. But they were too afraid. And if they're not doing it, then you shouldn't be doing it either. See, the voice of the king and the brothers, they will tell you, they will challenge your heart and your motives. Look at what they said about David. They told him he doesn't have the right heart. That David, you only spoke up because you want people to look at you. You just want the attention to be on yourself. They challenge who you are. They challenge your character. You just want attention. You'll never be able to do it because your heart's not right. God can't honor your heart. Look at all of the flaws in who you are. They point out your flaws by telling you the truth that no one else will want to tell you. And that's how they hide it. And that's just the beginning of the voices. In, in verse 44, here's what Goliath said. When they were getting ready to fight, Goliath tells David, come over here. I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. I don't think Goliath was planning on hugging David. Not at all. You see, the voice of the giant reminds us that you'll lose everything. Not just that you'll lose and maybe you'll make it out okay, but no, 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 that you will lose and you will never recover from this. You will never bounce back from this. That if you go this time, how dare you even think that you could match up with who I am? The giant will remind you of how small you are compared to how big they are. They will remind you of how big the debt is that you owe. They will remind you of how scary the addiction is that you can't seem to shake. They will remind you that you've tried before, but this time if you try once again, not only will you fail, but you will lose it all. The giant told David, if you step onto this field, you will lose your very life. Don't think that you can match up ever You've never measured up. You never will measure up. I don't know why you would do this. Here's the thing. These voices may be telling the truth, but they're telling the truth about what it looks like physically. But David was able to see something that no one else could. He was able to see the battle spiritually. And he was able to silence the voices by paying attention to the voice of the Spirit inside them. And David began to recount to everyone what God had already done in his life. He said, you know what, I am a shepherd. And a couple of times there would be a bear and a lion. They would come and take the sheep. And I would run after them. And with the power of the Spirit, I would snatch that bear by the, <laughs> by the beard. And I would kill it and I would take the sheep back. And a lion would try, and I would chase the lion, and I would kill the lion. And the lions and the bears have prepared me for this moment, not because I am great, but because of God being great inside of me. 
See, David knew who would be doing the fighting. See, everybody else just saw David and Goliath, but David knew that God would be in on the fighting. See, they continued to tell him who he wasn't, but David continued to tell him who God is. See, it doesn't matter who you're not and what you don't measure up if you know who God is, if you can recount the stories of what God has done in your life. So this morning, when the voices come and tell you what you can't do, what do you respond? What has God already done in your life? What experiences has he brought you through that you will increase your faith, that you will look back on and say, I know I couldn't, but I can because God already did. What is it about that? Is it the time that you were healed sitting in the hospital room? Is it the time that you came and gave your life to Christ? What about the time when you couldn't pay the bills and that check magically showed up in the mailbox? Or the time you didn't have any food and you were wondering what you could do and there was a knock at your door and a box of food sitting there? What is it that you'll point at that will remind people and remind yourself that it doesn't matter what they say, it matters what God says and it matters when he shows up? See, when we hear those voices telling us all of these other things, that's when we need to lean in even more and listen closely to the voice of God. Because he'll tell you that you can go first because he's going to go with you again. That's what he does. And as David was having this conversation and listening to the different voices, trying to tell him something, I think something happened that maybe he didn't expect. Saul goes ahead and says, you know what, okay, I'll let you fight. But here, let me, let me help you out. Saul began to try to make David Saul. And I don't, I don't think that this was initially a bad thing. I don't think that, that Saul was maybe trying to make this bad. Maybe Saul was just saying, you know what, David, if, if you're going to go, man, you can't go like that. You, you need some armor. I'm looking at the armor that that guy, dude, his, he's got special people carrying his stuff because it's so big and it's so heavy. You got to have something. Let me give you my armor. Let me make you look like me so that you can at least stand a chance in this fight. And maybe he didn't mean it this way, but I think it maybe have came across like this. Ultimately, he was simply telling David, you're not enough. That you need some of what I got to do what God has asked you to do. You need, you need to be more like me and less like you. And I can see it so clearly when I read this scripture, but you know what? It's hard sometimes in my own life. It's hard when I'm looking through social media and seeing all the successful people and looking at how they dress and what they do and how they say things. And, and I want to be like them. And instead of taking bits and pieces, I begin to simply try to copy who they are. And God is simply saying, you don't have to be a copy of someone else. You can simply be the original that I've created you to be. You see, maybe the parts of our stories that we wished weren't involved are the actual pieces that God is going to use to bring victory. Because they kept telling David, you're not a warrior, you're not a soldier, you're a shepherd. And guess what God used for the victory? The fact that he was a shepherd. And David did this, and this is what I feel like we each need to hold on to. We need to find out how we can be secure in who we are. David never said, you know what, okay, I'll, I'll be whatever. He told Saul, you know what, this is great, but this doesn't fit. I can't move. I can't do anything. And I, I promise you this, if David would have went out trying to fight like Saul, he would have died just like Saul would have fought. 
He had to be secure in who he was, and not just in who he was, but what God could do through him. He couldn't be Saul. He couldn't fight like Saul, but he knew what he could do if he fought like David. And if he fought like David, he knew that God would fight with him and for him. And that was the key ingredient of this because God had given him skills. David had been practicing his sling, and he gave him experience with other things that would give him confidence that he could respond and go first when this opportunity came up. So be you. Stop trying to be like other people. Stop trying to be like the person that you see next door, or your boss at work, or the people that you admire on social media. Just be you. Understand who you are and who you're not. Admit that and accept who you are and who you're not. And grab your sling and grab your stones and run to the battle and meet the giant just like David did. Fight with what God has given you, not with what you wish you had, not with what someone else had, but be who God has created you to be because if God is equipping you for the fight, he is with you in the fight. Can I tell you this? It is David ran to fight Goliath as he slung that stone with everything that he had. There was a power behind it that David didn't have. There was a power behind it that was the strength of who God was because God was in the fight. Because when it hit the, the forehead of Goliath, he began to fall. I love this next part. David didn't stop and celebrate. He didn't say, oh, look what I did. No, no, no. What did he do? He made sure that he won the fight. He ran over to the giant. He took his sword and he cuts off his head. And something miraculous happens in that moment. There was a roar and a celebration from this side of the camp that wasn't there before. Suddenly, the guys that were in the tent were not in the tent anymore. You see, David going first, his victory turned the fearful into the fearless. You see, they saw that David could beat the giant. They saw that he could win the fight. And so they thought, maybe not just him, maybe it's me too. And they begin to run from the camp and chase the enemies down. And that day, they routed the Philistines. David gave them hope and courage that they could win too. And there's a simple truth in this, that going first frees people around you. There are people in your life that they're waiting for someone to show them that life can be different. And when you begin to go first, you can show them that the giants that have trapped them, the giants that they've been afraid of their whole life, the places that they've lived, the way they've lived their life, you can give them hope that fear doesn't have to be the giant that traps them, that failure doesn't have to be the giant that stays in front of them, that addiction can be broken, that doubt can be dismantled, that anxiety doesn't have to win. We can be the people that give them hope if you will simply go first. That's what going first does. The last thing, maybe the main thing that allowed David to win, to go first and defeat Goliath is found in verse 17, way before the battle happens. It says, one day Jesse said to David, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers. Jesse sent David to carry bread. Sometimes we miss those things. Jesse sent David to carry bread, not to fight. Jesse sent David to bring provisions for those who were supposed to fight and to see how things were going, not to face a giant. Jesse sent David to carry bread, not to win a war, not to set people free, not to do anything other than do what he asked him to do. David submitted, and that's what led him to being at the right place at the right time and taking advantage of the God opportunity that was in front of him. 
you know what, this story would have ended differently if David would have just simply replied, send someone else. Don't you know I'm the anointed king? It's bad enough that I got to go back out into the sheep, but now you want me to carry bread and check on my brothers? You wouldn't let me go fight, so why am I suddenly good enough to go check on those that are fighting? You wouldn't let me do any of that before, but now I can go? No, send someone else. Send a servant. That's beneath me. And sometimes we miss our moments to go first because we're unwilling to do the simple things that God is asking us to do. We're unwilling to just simply say, I'll go carry bread. may not seem like much, but I'll go. I'll submit to whatever my dad is asking me to do. He was sent to deliver bread, not to rescue everyone, but out of obedience came victory. Out of his one act of obedience, victory came for a whole nation. Had David not been there, it might have been 40 days, it might have been 100 days that they would have been sitting there in fear because there was no one that would say they would go first. So what's God asking you to do? Is he asking you to slay the giant first? No, no, no. He's simply asking you to carry bread. Be faithful right where you are. I know it's hard to go to work and do the same thing over and over again. You feel like it's a trap, like it's just a rut that you're in, the mundane, the ordinary, the average. But yet we see how God can use the mundane and the ordinary and the average to bring hope and victory in life that was never found before that. So keep bringing bread. Keep submitting. Keep doing the small things that God is asking you to do because that sets us up for victory. See, we're waiting on God to move, and God is simply waiting for us to grab the bread so that he can send us to be at the right place at the right time for the right opportunity. When he knows that we will submit to the small things, he can trust us with the opportunities to go first. He can trust us with the big fights, with the big moments, with the big battles if he knows that we'll submit. And here's the key for this. God can ask us to go first because Jesus went first. You see, I would like to think that I would have been running onto the battlefield, that I would have been David. But I can only be David because Jesus was Jesus. I can only face the giants in front of me because in front of Jesus, there are no giants any longer. That he defeated sin, he defeated death, that there's nothing that keeps him from doing what he can do. There's no obstacle that can stand in front of him. There's no person that can stand in front of him. There's nothing that can stop Jesus at all. There's no giants. And because he won... We win, and that's why I can tell you it's time to go first. It's time to go. It's time to be who you've created to be. It's time to move in the here and now and not look back. It's time to carry bread and go first. We can have the courage to go first because he already did and he already won. Can we be willing to follow Jesus' footsteps? Would we be a place that's not just content with being a church in here but being a church to the world? that we'll carry bread, we'll carry hope, we'll carry the gospel wherever we go, and we'll take opportunity to go first when God brings it up. Can you imagine for a moment, what does it look like? What does it look like for you? How does your family change if you decide to answer the call that God has put in your heart? If you decide to speak up first, if you decide to go first, if you answer, if you get involved in the area that God is telling you to get involved, if, if you lay down the addictions that God is telling you he can free you from, if you're willing to go first, what sets free in your family that you've been praying for? Are you willing to carry bread? Are you willing to go first? How does your neighborhood change? How does this community change? If we say today that we'll carry bread and we'll be willing to go first, that we'll look for the opportunities that God would set up in front of us, then we can go first. 
But it all starts with the choice. Our prayer is that this message impacted you. Please share your story and partner with us financially at newvisiongrandview.com.